morning. <clears throat> um, as you can see, I just passed out those the handouts, and um, if anyone kind of comes into the back, if you could just let them know there's extra copies over here. Um, and if for some reason there aren't enough, I can make some more for people after the, the lecture. Um, and then the second reminder is just to take a look at your Prairie Lights schedule. Um, a poet from the Writer's Workshop is reading actually his first um, nonfiction book tonight, and his name is Mark Levine, and he's reading from a book called F5 about tornadoes. So it should be good. <laughs> As we raise our pen to draft a character or situation, a plot or problem, we expand our own self for the time it takes to write. We inhabit the vision of our story and create a possible world with possible people, backgrounds, cultures, customs, quirks, qualities. And from there, we work to transform this sketch into a potential version of the world we live in. And so it seems to write with an inclusive eye, one responsive, one responsive to diversity, difference, and variety of race, religion, nationality, history, class, gender, language, is to not only produce the magnificent details of being alive right now in a specific time and place, but to hold one's writing responsible to exploring different considerations or perspectives and thereby encourage this understanding in our readers. So in this 11s is today, novelist Venice Berry will further discuss how to identify and create ethnic diversity in your writing. Venice is the author of three national best-selling novels, So Good, an African-American Love Story, All of Me, a Voluptuous Tale, and Colored Sugar Water, and her fourth novel, Career Women, will come out in 2008. Venice is an associate professor of journalism and mass communication and African-American studies right here at the University of Iowa. And in 2003, she received the Creative Contribution to Literature Award from the Zora Neale Hurston Society. So please join me in welcoming Venice Berry. Thank you. Um, the idea for this work, for this Elevenses, which has also been a workshop that I conduct periodically here and there um, across the country, came from an experience I had early in my uh, writing career when um, I had decided that um, I wanted to get more healthy. And so I started to walk and try to get some weight off and stuff and get, um, you know, just get myself back into a situation where I could feel good. And um, one, at the same time, I had gotten my first agent, and we were in the process of trying to get my manuscript ready for the publisher. And she kept telling me, well, it's not quite ready. Well, I need some more changes. Well, but she wouldn't tell me exactly what she wanted. And so after about the third or fourth time that she returned it and said, I'm sorry, it's just still not ready for me to send out to a publisher. And I really didn't know what to do, how to change it or anything. I um, 
kind of gave up <laughs> because at the time I was I had started teaching here on a tenure track and I wasn't supposed to be working on a novel anyway. I was supposed to be writing research and you know getting publications for you know tenure here at the university. So I finally said, ah, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. I need to really focus. I think I spent maybe six or eight months of my tenure track experience trying to please her and I couldn't. So it was funny because um, I. I actually began to see the work of what I call a guardian angel in my life a few years before that. And and so one morning, um, I, I, I'm not a morning person. I don't walk in the I never walked in the morning. But one morning, about 6 a.m., something woke me up, and it wouldn't let me go back to sleep, and it kept pushing me to get up and go walk, get up and go walk. And I, I really fought it and I you know t- tossed it I turned I put the cover over my head and tried to go back to sleep and I couldn't and so finally I uh, got up and I went to walk and usually I was walking an average of four to five days a week and I was going out of town that weekend and this voice in my head kept saying now you know you won't do it this weekend so you've got to get this fourth day in and da, da, da. so I got up and I went over to the rec center here at the university and started walking and it was real interesting because it was only me and one other guy on the track and so I put my headphones on and I started going around the track you know just trying to get my hour in and pretty soon he comes up behind me or next to me and he says something to me and I'm I get really irritated because again I'm not a morning person I don't want to talk I don't want to laugh I don't want to smile just don't bother me in the morning I just do what I have to do so but I'm a kind person I'm a decent person so I took the headphones off and I said, "And I said, what? Excuse me." And he said, "Does this stuff really work?" And he's a morning person, so he's all happy and chipper. And so I'm like, "Oh my God, he doesn't even want anything. He's just harassing me for no reason." <laughs> so I told that voice in my head, "Okay, get him away from me. I did what you told me to do. I'm here. Get him away from me." So anyway, uh, I said, "Well, this, you know, they say it works. I'm, I'm going to give it a try." And I got ready to put the headphones back on. And he starts talking really, really fast. So, needless to say, I did not hear anything he said for the first three or four minutes as we walked around this track because in my head, I'm fussing with the voice saying, you know what, I can't take it. you got to get him away from me. And then finally, I heard the word writer. And I stopped and started listening to this man. And he said that God had sent me to him. And he knew it the moment he saw me on that track that morning. And so I, <laughs> I kind of hesitated. And I said, okay. <laughs> and basically, he was um, a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop. He had five novels under his belt. And he was finishing, he had finished his sixth manuscript. And the main character was an African-American doctor in the Chicago area. And he had asked God to send him someone who could help him to look at the dialogue to make sure he was an older Jewish white male, to make sure it, it didn't sound like an older, older Jewish white male trying to write the dialogue of a young black male doctor in the inner city. And he was also from Iowa. So when he, he said he walked on that track every day um, for years in the morning at that time, and he had never seen anybody black on that track. (laughs) So, since he had made this request and I showed up, he figured, hey, 
She must be here for me. Um, <laughs> needless to say, we had a wonderful conversation about this this agent who liked my manuscript but kept saying something was wrong and couldn't tell me what the problem was or how to fix it. So that afternoon, we agreed to meet at a coffee shop here in Iowa City and exchange manuscripts, and that was actually the start of my career because he gave me some really important structural ideas, and uh, the agent said, okay, let's go with it, and I got picked up, and everything was wonderful. And he, in return also, uh, his book was published. It's called The Black Samaritan. His name is Robert Stein. But I I bring that up because um, for those of you who want to write with ethnic diversity, you don't necessarily have to ask God for help, but it doesn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he may send them to you in another way. This just happened to be how he sent Robert uh, his assistance. But anyway, I I bring that up simply because it's a great example of how If you seriously want to include ethnic diversity in your writing, there are many, many ways to do it. One is to call on the Lord, and he will help you as well. Um, I I have a handout, and if there aren't enough, she'll make some more. And if there aren't enough, um, I would like to ask the faculty to kind of give theirs up, and then I'll bring some to the faculty luncheon after this session. So if anybody needs one, there's a few up front, but um, if, if we need to do that. Yeah, we can do that uh, near the end. But anyway, what I've done in this really brief handout is really just kind of talk about, and I'm not going to cover it directly, I just want to highlight some key issues. How do we think about diversity in this society, particularly if you plan or want to write about it as a writer? And my argument uh, or my issue in, in doing this is that Most of us write from our experience, and so if your experience is not diverse, you're not going to include diversity unless you really decide purposely to include it, to focus on it. And I guess that's part of my argument, is I think everyone should decide purposely to include some type of um, focus, or not focus, some type of diversity in their work, because the world is a diverse world, and what we're trying to do in our writing is to really show people the world we live in, And so anyway, um, unless, of course, there's a purpose in your writing for keeping it, um, making it not diverse, it's real easy to include diversity. And that's really what I want to show you in this handout, how easy it is to include diversity, or at least on some level. When you think about diversity, um, you know, basically there are three elements of diversity to look at. And you can include some of them, you can include all of them, you can include one of them. It's up to you. But there's the physical, where you actually have different, distinct types of people. Uh, not only you know people of color, but elderly, gender, uh, age, handicapped. Um, when you purposely, again, sometimes you have to purposely include these kinds of differences if you don't encounter them all the time. Um, one of the problems, I think, in the media in general, but writing specifically, is that you know there are groups that get left out all the time groups that we don't experience, groups that we don't understand well, groups like the handicapped, like various minorities, like uh, age, gender issues. Um, The cognitive involves belief systems, values, ideas. So, for example, you know, you could have just someone, a, a waiter or a waitress who's a minority or who's handicapped in some way, just to add that kind of distinction to your writing, to bring 
you know, to bring the world into your writing. I think that that's important. The cognitive involves belief systems, values, ideas, traditions. You know, how do people think differently in from different groups and different environments? Um, sometimes you can bring it in through dialogue. Sometimes you can bring it in through narration. It, it really kind of depends on what your story is, but there are ways, if you purposely think about it, to make your writing more inclusive. And finally, the behavioral. People act differently. You know, there are the stereotypical ideas like, you know, low-income black males from the inner city who are going to look, who sometimes look a certain way or act a certain way. But there are also differences when it comes to social worlds, when it become, when it comes to educational attainment. So you really want to begin to think about behaviorally how do people act differently based on, you know, their different experiences and backgrounds. I think diversity is essential in writing. Um, because it's an important part of our world. And I also want to um, want, want you to think about how diversity can improve our understanding and respect for other cultures. I mean, that's what we do as writers, even though it's fiction or even non Well, nonfiction, of course, is more reality. But even fiction, people get ideas. They get information. They, they learn. Un they understand things from our writing. And so I think it's real important that we help them to... Um, better understand humanity from a variety of perspectives. It also can increase your readership. Um, research has shown, media research has shown that, you know, people are more likely to pick up a book if it includes somebody who's like them, who looks like them or acts like them or believes like them. So it could inc increase your readership as an author, as a writer. It can add depth to your story um, in a variety of different ways. Uh, based on who you know, how you include different um, aspects of uh, diversity, and also I think it enhances writing skills, um, insight, um, yeah, um, astuteness in relation to, you know, how do you go about shaping certain sentences or paragraphs or, or descriptions of people. I think it actually can strengthen and expand our writing skills. You have to be careful of stereotypes. Unfortunately, a lot of times what you end up with is not a real well-drawn character or a real thought-out, well-thought-out situation. It's just kind of a stereotypical image. So I think that you have to be very careful about that. And uh, there are a lot of examples, and we can talk about those later in a question-and-answer session. You know, I have some of them here, you know, black or Latino men as drug dealers, um, Native American alcoholics, those kinds of issues we want to be careful about. Um, but if, if you want to use a stereotype to start with and then expand that character beyond that stereotype in a variety of different ways, to me that is very powerful and very positive. Um, one of the things that I try to do in my work is to take stereotypes and, and just deconstruct them and really begin to let people see how this may be a component, this stereotypical characteristic or idea may be a part of this character, but there's so much more to that character that's so important. Like, for instance, a low-income black male who is involved in drugs, but they have a whole lot of different issues that they're dealing with that can make them a more complicated and important character in relation to how my readers learn certain kinds of information and see certain kinds of situations. Um, there are a number of ways. The second page kind of talks about some ideas. It gives you some ideas on how to include, or the second, the back, how to include um, diversity in your writing. And again, there's a lot of different ways you can do this. These are just a few examples. There's two basic, basic, 
concepts, I think, to start off with. One are what I call culturally neutral stories and others are culturally specific stories. A culturally neutral character or situation, um, specifically characters is cultural, are cultural neutral. And that's simply to bring in a character who exists not as a stereoty- in a stereotypical role, but in a certain situation. For example, as an African-American, I was raised in Des Moines, Iowa. And so I was not raised in the typical inner city as you would, you know, as, as the African Americans are sometimes stereotypically pushed into that area. So I would come in as African American, but I would come in within that environment. And so it wouldn't necessarily be to push any kind of traditional or cultural element, particularly as it relates to the inner city or the stereotype or large cities with uh, large black populations, but to at least include a character that has some kind of difference or diversity in relation to, you know, being raised in Des Moines, Iowa, how does that make me similar to the people I was raised with, but yet different from and more co- and connected in some way to my culture? What are the differences that you can add there? Um, a culturally specific story is to take a character or a situation and actually make it part of your your theme, actually make it part of, you know, Maybe I move from Chicago to Iowa City or Des Moines, and that creates a much different kind of environment. So it, it kind of depends on the level and the extent that you want to include that um, idea and that information in relation to the diversity character that you're creating. I also took um, James Banks, who's a prominent uh, educator, has he created this model where he looks at levels of diversity and how do we include them in educational programs. And I thought it was really interesting when I first read it and said, oh, you could really adapt this and use it in writing in a variety of different ways. So, for example, probably the most basic way that you can include diversity in your writing is what he calls the contributions approach. And that's simply at some point in the story, include an ethnic character or a holiday or some kind of custom in the story. And again, you're teaching your readers about this custom or about this character by doing this. It could be simply a sales clerk. It could be a friend of your main character. It could be, you know, you could uh, have a situation take place at a Kwanzaa celebration or a powwow, Native American powwow. Um, And it's just simply a real simple, inclusive way to kind of bring about some kind of diversity in your writing. The second level, which would be a little bit more, add a little bit more depth, would be what he calls an ethnic additive approach. And basically, um, that's when you include some kind of multicultural theme or some kind of character that is relevant in some way to the story, but not in an extreme way, just kind of... kind of it adds flavor to your story or to your plot. Um, and so, you know, you may have two friends and they attend a Native American powwow and somehow in the middle of attending this event they get into an argument about the controversy on Native American mascots. Again, you know, th- these are contrived ideas. You could come up, I'm sure, with better ideas, but it gives you an example of how you can take it from just including an African-American waitress or a Native American waitress to actually 
having the characters discuss an issue in relation to that group or that topic. Um, level three would be what he calls a transformational approach, and that's it's still a more general expla- explanation or exploration of the social or cultural topic or character, but it is more integral to your story. So, you know, it may not be a friend that, um, that it may be uh, one of the sub. Some of the, one of the characters in a subplot, and the subplot is actually dealing in some way with some kind of ethnic issue or cultural kind of problem. Um, like, for instance, if you had two friends, one black, one white, attend a Kwanzaa celebration, and the Kwanzaa celebration was part of maybe there's they're dating, maybe it's a male and a female, and they're dating, and the Kwanzaa celebration in some way ties to their relationship. You give it much, you include that they are included in, in more depth in the actual storyline, particularly maybe a subplot. And then finally, the action approach uh, is what he calls the last level, which is kind of the most um, in-depth you can include this kind of area. And that's where he suggests exploring a social or cultural problem or issue. But you would also kind of deal with some solutions or some problems, some solutions to some problems or some changes that could be made, you know, to... Uh, improve or help whatever the situation is. So um, this could be something like uh, you have five lawyers in a law firm practicing law in an area and each and different lawyers are coming from different perspectives. One might be handicapped, one might be gay lesbian, one might be you know Latino, um, you know white male, white female. Um, and you really begin to show us how their perspectives are different because of their backgrounds, because of their their experiences and how they understand various kinds of ideas in relation to the law. And so it really becomes a prominent part of your story. Um, it's interesting because I watch um, um, Boston Legal and I was when I first started watching, I don't know how many of you have seen it, but I was like, wow, they have no minorities in this firm. That's interesting. And then when they started bringing minorities in, I was really interesting, interested in how they decided the, the, the images, the ideas that they started perpetuating in relation to them. They have one man that came in as kind of a cross-dresser and kind of crazy. And uh, come to find out that he isn't a, he had passed law school but had never passed the bar or something. And then they had a woman come in and she has an affair with this other guy. And so I just thought it was real interesting the kinds of positions they decided, more stereotypical in my opinion, positions they decided to include those people in. And I just think that, you know, stories are more interesting if you if you have people who are looking at things from a different perspective. If you have people, if you have five you know, white attorneys in a Boston law firm or in a Chicago law firm, they're going to see things. I mean, you, of course, you can deal with social status. You know, you can deal with some of those issues. You can deal with rural. Maybe one of them came from the country and one of them it was born in the city or raised in the city. So you can deal with some kind of um, some differences, and that's good. But it's not, well, there, more distinction might be better. But you can have a variety of different, a variety of distinctions and that's what I think is important, is making sure that we include a variety of distinctions in our writing. And finally, research is crucial. I know a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't feel comfortable writing about the African-American community because, I, you know, I wasn't raised in the African-American community or, 
you know, um, I, I don't know what they do. But there's, I mean, you can do research. I know that a lot of times we think about writing from our backgrounds, and I think that that is the essence of our writing. But, you know, there are so many other things that we can write about, and it's really about doing research. It's about reading. It's about understanding. It's talking to people. You can do interviews. You can look at studies that have been done. There are a lot of different ways to present information in your books about various different groups and cultures and environments, um, even though you may not have a lot of experience in that environment. And if necessary, you could actually call on the Lord and he'll bring you some help. (laughs) You know, with him all things are possible. I do believe that. Um, and Robert proved it to me if I didn't believe it before then. But anyway, um, so I, I just think it's important. I think that it's something, and I think that we won't do it if we don't think about it. Uh, one of the things I teach I, in the journalism school here, and I teach journalism, I teach broadcast journalism, and we have this wonderful assignment on diversity that we do where I ask the students, you know, I say, okay, there's this burning building, and... Um, it's an apartment building. Let's say there's five apartments in it, and you have one African-American family, one gay and lesbian couple or family. You have, um, you know, three white families. And maybe one of them's a foreign family from, from France, okay? So how do you go about making a decision about who you interview? And, of course, most people say, well, you go, first you start off with, you know, whoever you can get to. And that's true. When, when you're on deadline, when you're reporting stuff. But let's say you have a little extra time, you know, one of the things that research has shown is that we all have comfort zones and we have a tendency to stick to our comfort zones. And so the African-American reporter would probably approach the African-American um, family first and the white reporter would probably uh, approach the white families first. And so if you only have time to approach two families and you don't purposely try to get some alternative and it really gets complicated if you have 10 families in the unit in the assignment and you have a variety of different things but anyway um but you have a tendency to stay in your comfort zone especially in times of crisis or chaos which is what that situation would be and i think it happens a lot more not just crisis and chaos but in in our in our own lives in our own experiences that's we create our whole lives you know around a comfort zone and anything or anything, anybody that doesn't fit into your comfort zone, they have to go. If somebody bothers you, or in, except family members, sometimes you can't get rid of them. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, you, you just kind of keep your distance from them. But um, <laughs> you really do create a comfort zone. And so I think we need to step out of this comfort zone as writers and really begin to think about other groups and other possibilities so that we have a more, we offer more diverse stories to our readers and hopefully that will help them to step out of their comfort zones and become more familiar with um, other kinds of writers, with other kinds of writing. I mean, I think, I know it's kind of a Pollyanna idea, but I think if, if people start it, it, it will flow. Eventually, we will begin um, to get more excited about reading about other cultures one other thing I'd like to say before I open it up for questions is it's real interesting because publishers are probably so, to me, it's so difficult to get publishers to understand the importance of diversity. And, you know, one of the things that they do is they um, target books. And I have had this battle for years. 
you know, that, you know, because I'm a black writer, because the major topic of my books is an African-American female, you know, it's a black book. And so, you know, as far as marketing it, marketing it outside of black communities, they just don't see the purpose. But yet, you know, all of me, a voluptuous tale deals with, even though it's a black female character, it deals with obesity and weight in women in this society. And I have had so many friends, uh, white women, Latino women, you know, um, even gays and lesbians who have read it and who have related to it and talk about, you know, how important it is for us to begin to think about these issues. But I never could get the publishers to understand that this really is a woman's issue. It just happens to be an African-American woman as the lead. So that's the other thing I think is important, that we as writers need to help publishers as we write our manuscripts and make them more diverse. Hopefully we can help publishers understand how important diversity is. Uh, in our readership um, because other people I mean I read a variety of books I don't just read African American books and there are a lot of stories that are interesting to me and so I think that that's an important part of it as well anyway with that I will take questions and make and comments yes Mm-hmm. And isn't there kind of a fine line between bringing a token thing into your story and just dropping it there and therefore sort of insulting the, the group that you tried to include rather than make them an equal partner in your character? That's an interesting comment because what you're asking me is, is it better to just leave them out completely? <laughs> or put a little something in and my response would be put a little something in <laughs> I mean that, that's the bottom line I'd rather see you put a little something in than leave them out completely I'd rather see you you know put it into a subplot rather than you know put a little something in I'd rather see you you know add it to the main plot rather than put it in the subplot but it's up to you and it's your story and I'd rather have it included in some way than to be eliminated. And I think that's part of the problem. It's eliminated most of the time because people are scared to just put a little something in. And that's and I think that we can't be scared. I mean, I, I don't know how, I, mean, I know there are some other writers in here, and, and when you read the critics, <laughs> what they say about you, they're going to rip you for something. So, <laughs> you, know, you know, you look at your, your critiques, and, and, and or even from readers, and, you know, you'll have one person say, oh, that's a fabulous book. I love it. Venice Berry's a great writer. And right below it or right above it, you, what the heck is this crap, and who gave her a contract? You know, I mean, so it's kind of like <laughs> you got to do it in order to make it work, I think. Yes? Uh, oh, well, one day, one, I was thinking if someone were writing about Des Moines, it's really more accurate to include you or a black person in it so that people who read about Des Moines get an accurate view of life in Des Moines. Well, and that's exactly, and that's one of the issues with the um, building fire. My My question to them is if you only have time for two families and you interview, and you in, interview the two white families, you're not accurately representing the situation as a reporter. And then some people argue, well, but it doesn't matter if it's in print, like if, it's a, if you're a newspaper reporter versus a broadcast reporter, because we can see their minorities in broadcast, but we can't see it in print. I said, but it should matter to you. 
you know, it may not matter because you're not going to say, you know, John Brown, African-American in the newspaper. But you know that you accurately represented that situation. Yes. It's very true, and like I said, if it doesn't get included, then you know we have no way of being introduced. And who who knows if you do it from the the basic approach, just the contribution approach, you may get somebody. They may read about this powwow that the that the person attended, and they may actually get interested and start doing you know looking into powwows. Might there might be one in the community, and they decide to attend it when they normally wouldn't have. You never know what that kind of simple introduction could trigger in your readers. Yes? Um, what do you think about the effect of including pieces of another language like intertwined in your writing? Improving? No, in- including. Oh, including. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting. I would really like to do that, except I don't... Um, I haven't quite... I actually had started a piece that included some basic Swahili terms just because I was interested in this character and I wanted to develop a background from from Africa and I wanted to do something different. I think that's wonderful. Um, you know, you read books and you come away understanding some basic terms, some basic ideas um, from other cultures like, you know, some language. You may not know, you may include some sentences where I read a book and I can't remember what it was now, but it was a Mexican um, um, I think it was a maid in the book, and she basically she would like alternate English and Spanish when she was talking to like she'd get upset with the kids and she'd say stop that in, you know you stop that in in English and then she'd say something else that you knew went along with it but it would be a Spanish verse and they never even explained to you like what the Spanish meant but you knew you know don't hit stop that you stop that and then maybe they said don't hit your sister or something. But that would be in Spanish. And so it was real interesting, I thought, the way that they did that. So that you didn't have to actually know what the words were in order to understand them. I've seen books that have put them in and they, and they in some way, parentheses or through dialogue or through narration, they explain what it means. And I think that anything that helps to inform our readership, I hate the fact that the media industry believes that everything should be geared toward a sixth grader. And they're really not about teaching us a whole lot of stuff. And so I really think that people should learn. I also have problems with the idea that it's just entertainment. You know, fiction is just entertainment. You know, TV shows are just, it's fiction, it's just entertainment. Movies are just entertainment. But people learn from movies. They learn from fiction. They learn from TV shows. And so if you're not teaching them anything, how do you expect to improve humanity? I think that that's part of what we can do as writers, is help to improve humanity. And it's so wonderful to teach them, and they don't even know they're learning. You know? <laughs> fiction, fiction is wonderful. One of the things I do as a journalist, because I'm a journalist and not an English background, journalists write for a purpose. We have so many words 
and we have an idea and we want to put this together in the best effective way. And I kind of do my novels like that. And so I actually pick a, a topic in the beginning before I start writing. And I know that my, and that's the topic my book is going to center around. And then I do research. I research my books for probably anywhere from four to six months, sometimes a year, based on whatever the topic is. Like when I did my All of Me, A Voluptuous Tale, and I was doing weight in society. I mean, I read studies about weight loss. I interviewed doctors and nurses and nutritionists, and I talked to people who had been successful. I went to a Weight Watchers meeting and talked to people who had not been successful and um, successful and not successful. And I kind of let the story evolve from my research. I kind of came up with my character. I came up with the basic premises. There were certain ideas I wanted people to learn, to information I wanted them to get out of the novel. And all of that evolved from the research. Um, you know, I had yo-yoed up and down, still do. And so I, I had some experience in it, but I also went outside of my experience and really pulled in some significant information um, for my audience to learn when they walk, when they finish my book and walk away, I wanted them to take something really important with them. Uh, I'm going to come here and then I'll come over there. Yes. You mentioned stereotypes at one end. One end. Let's take it to the other end. What uh, are the things that people don't think about that are intriguing? Uh, Afro-Americans, Muslims. There's, where do we miss? Where are the, some of the things that could be focused in on that would make these people really stand out and, and as you say, help others to learn. Well, I mean, I think that's part of what the argument is in, in bringing them into your, like I said, one of the things that I think is interesting that I've done is you start with the stereotype and then you begin to, uh, to fill in other kinds of characteristics and ideas and experiences that this person, that you would never imagine this person would have. You know, you have a... Um, a single mother, her mother was on welfare, she's on welfare, her mother was on welfare, her grandmother was on welfare, and so you start there. You know, she's, just, she's 15, she just had a child, and she's been in this cycle. But you take that stereotype and you begin to kind of pull other, maybe she has a grandmother who has been successful, who is doing something different, and you bring that grandmother into her life in a variety of different ways. Maybe Maybe she's had the opportunity. Maybe this was a choice she made despite the fact that she had an opportunity and she went to um, a summer camp that dealt with, you know, success in, in, in some way. Maybe, well, I'll think about this. This is my background. They have these journalism academies in the summer. Maybe she's actually went there and she thought she wanted to be a journalist and, and this was an accident and you began to kind of pull. She was preparing for a college career. I mean, there are ways that you can take the basic stereotype and really begin to deconstruct it, you know, based on experiences and ideas and information about what that character could be versus the stereotype that we see that character as. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was going to... You had your hand up? Yeah, how do you um, get out of your comfort zone? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I force it. Like I said, I'll... I'll um, I have been I think revision is really important and I revise a lot you know I try to kind of get the first draft down kind of down and dirty just put it all out there everything I think I want to say and then as I start rereading and revising I look for places where you know okay this is kind of this character you know I've had a series of these characters you know African-American women because that's my comfort zone African-American women let's do something different here 
you know, this is the third African-American woman, her buddy, that she's run into. Let's make this woman um, maybe a uh, gay lesbian. Let's make her Latino. Or let's make her, um, you know, a white female or whatever. You know, you change it and you put them into, you purposely change it and put them into a different environment. Then you have to, of course, maybe it's, it wouldn't be, at the, if I did it at the last minute at a revision, it wouldn't be a main character. But then you have to go back and figure out where that character came in and begin to figure out how their perspective would have been different. Maybe I've had her in five scenes. So then I go back to those scenes and say, okay, in this scene, this happened. If this character was not an African-American woman in this experience and she was, like I said, a gay, lesbian, white female, you know, how would she react to this situation? And again, you know, I have to talk to people. I have to go out and do research about, you know, kind of ideas and, and, and information concerning how they may respond to that kind of situation. And I can, like I said, I can, I can do just like Robert did and have some, have one or two people look at it and say, ah, um, I don't think that that's how they would have responded. They might have done something like this or maybe tweak this a little bit in this way. I, I just think that the, you have to make the effort. And if you don't make the effort purposely, say, I'm going to do something different, I'm going to make a character, you know, different, then if... Um, in all of me she's a TV reporter and um, I have some I have a number of characters but one of the characters actually is a white female who befriends her and then there's one that is problematic and I kind of play them I contrast them against each other so um I've also included, um, trying to think. <laughs> in um, Colored Sugar Water, it was also interesting because um, Lucinda Marie Merriweather, who believes in everything from voodoo and fortune telling to God's gift and the, God's grace and the power of um, prayer, meets a psychic. And I made the psychic an older. Jewish woman who, you know, was actually, she holds conferences for psychics, and she has thousands of psychics across the country come to these conferences, and she brought in a witch from Haiti and all kind of good stuff. So it's just, you know, trying to become as diverse, trying to bring in some elements of diversity, and so that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not sure who was next, but I'll be here. a wonderfully controversial topic. <laughs> I believe in Ebonics. <laughs> I believe in representing them the way they're supposed to be represented, the way they the way they talk. And I really think dialogue should be dialogue. So now I, I can't argue that everybody agrees with me on that, but I think dialogue should be dialogue. And if, if it's a typical male, I mean, I, I hear them 
here in Iowa City, you know, um, as a matter of fact, it's funny because uh, you'll be going down the street. Matter of fact, I, I put this in one of the books. Actually, I think it's in my Career Women book. But um, you're going down the street in Iowa and you boom, 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 boom in the car. And I lived in Texas for 12 years, so when I first got here and I heard that, of course, you turn around thinking it's a black male, and it's not. It's a white male. And it's, you know, with the rap music. And the, so you, I, I've often wondered what, it, what are they getting out of it and why do they blast it like that. But anyway, um, but yeah, I think that that is part of the learning process is to help people understand. And I actually have a class that my character is so good is teaching, and it's a speech class. And one of the African-American male um, students comes in, and she asks him a question, and he gives her this embonics answer. And she says, okay, now I want you to tell me how you would say that if you were talking to a white teacher. Can you say both of them? Can you say both of them right now, what he says? Oh, (laughs) I wrote that in 96. (laughs) I mean, it was something like, you know... Well, I ain't got time to do that, you know, to do that crap, or I don't have time to deal with that kind of, you know, garbage or whatever. He not garbage. He wouldn't say garbage, but anyway. And then I, I, I had her make him tell him the way he would say it if he was in a different environment, an environment where he had. To, I'm sorry, but I just was not able to turn in my homework, you know, because of some circumstances in my life or something, you know, where I actually make him more accountable to society. Um, but I, but she allowed him to use the abonics, but wanted just wanted to make a point by saying, okay, now, you can say that to me, but, you know, how would you say that if you were going to be successful outside of this classroom and, and not talking to me? So, like I said, it's, it's hard for me to say because that's a real, you know, that whole big issue about abonics in Oakland when they were going to try to introduce abonics into the school system I mean, I don't think that's a bad idea. I don't think you should introduce it to say, okay, you know, let's everybody speak Ebonics. But I think in understanding where these students are coming from and what they're trying to deal with, and then helping them move from Ebonics into mainstream, because you can't walk into an office and get a job speaking Ebonics. You just can't do it. And, um, you know, I, I split a few verbs every now and then if I'm in the in a comfortable zone, <laughs> but I know how to talk if I'm in a certain kind of environment. And some people would argue that's even wrong, um, that you shouldn't have to change because you're in a certain environment. But the bottom line is that's, that's society. That's the society we live in, and people are going to see you in a certain way. We, we make certain decisions based on how people talk, what they look like, you know, how they behave. And when you know that, you have to figure out where you want to be. And if you want to be in a certain, in a different place, you have to learn how to fit in and, and deal with that place. So, anyway, yes. Um, going back to your comfort zone just for a minute. <laughs> you know, you were touching upon the fact that you know a lot of writers we are trying to leave our comfort zones, and we are writing, you know, books, especially if it's set in the city, you know, with gay folks and straight folks and every different type of folk. And then, you know, we do a good job of that, you know, and you being an accomplished writer. But those publishing people and those agents are still wanting to live in that world of categories. Right? That's how they want to market, and that's how they want to put things out. So, you know, even you touching on, you know, themes that are crossing, you know, the full spectrum, they're still wanting to market you, at, you know, with that black female mm-hmm. category. 
So how have you how have you grappled with that? Because we're we're excited that they publish as we want us to, but then it's also a slap in the face when they market us only to this kind of demographic. So how do you well, you know, you get out there and market yourself for one way. I mean, I, I do a lot of my own marketing. Um, I got a really nice advance. I got about 50 grand as an advance, and I swear to God I spent 45 <laughs> doing bookmarks and posters and traveling and, and going to conferences, not conferences, but going to festivals. And, I mean, I spent most of that money. I didn't go out and buy a car and house or anything. I spent most of that money promoting myself because... The bottom line is they were very limited in what they wanted to do for me. And it's probably one of the reasons why my books did as well as they did is because I made that distinction. Now, everybody don't get a $50,000 advance, so everybody can't do that. But there are ways, you know, there are a lot. One of the, I, I had an advantage, too, because I'm a journalist. And so I have journalism friends. I'd go to the journalism conferences, meet people who at newspapers and really push. You know, I did a lot of pushing with journalists to try to get them to do, go home to their towns and do, you know, critiques in the paper or do articles. And, you know, so I did a lot of that, too. But, um, you know, you really have to find ways. The, the Internet is a fabulous marketing tool now um, where you can really expand. Because if you sit around, I don't care what color you are. I don't care if you're female or male. I don't care if you're young or old. If you sit around and wait for the publishing company to promote you, Especially if you're, unless you're Stephen King or Maya Angelou, you forget it. <laughs> you have got to get out there and do some things on your own. Otherwise, because there's just so many choices. I mean, what makes a person come and pick up your book and buy it rather than somebody else's? And I think prices have gotten just ridiculous, but that's my soapbox. I'm not going to get on that today. I mean, you know, who's going to go and pay? I just finished a, uh, let's say this one thing. My brother and I do nonfiction, and he's a film professor at Howard, and we did a book about five years ago called The 50 Most Influential Black Films with uh, Kensington Press, and then we just finished, it just came out in March, with Scarecrow Press, a historical dictionary of African-American cinema. And so it's a fabulous book. I love it. It came. I love the cover. Usually I have to fight about covers. They let me design the cover. It's a wonderful cover. Everything's fabulous. The book is $85. Who's going to buy this book? (laughs) Beside a few libraries across the country. And I I sent this email to the man and said, I wouldn't pay $85 for it. And I love it. I think it's a fabulous book. And there's no way I can go out to festivals and stuff and market it because people can't afford to pay $85 for a book. It's just ridiculous. So anyway, that's my pet peeve. Yes. I think that underscores everything that you're saying, especially about the issue of tokenism that got brought up, or, or even the marketing issue and the publishers' issue is how, um, above all, just simply we all have ethnic diversity in our lives. We mm-hmm. just have to, and how we fold it in, sort of just it doesn't have to be the big theme, but it's, but that it does have to have something to do with what the characters' trajectory is in some way. It just can't. I think that's the thing we just plug it in, it does look tokenism and I think that's where the insults, you know, in the sense of just, I mean, I agree, it's better to put it in than not, but how do you hold that phrase into our lives as it is part of our lives? I mean, I live in, I think, the whitest community in California, you know, it's like, it's a startling thing when a black man walks down the street, you know, this woman who runs an African story town has adopted two children from um, Africa, and 
there's this whole sort of thing that goes on. I think it's in every community. It's there. And I just think that how you fold it in and make it part mm -hmm. of the story is mm -hmm. just a wonderful thing to be reminded of. Well, and, and it's interesting too. I think, especially for first-time authors, I think. Well, not I shouldn't say that because I use, I still use it, and I'm working on my fourth book. But it's interesting too because when you're trying to fill four or five hundred pages, you need some information to fill it with, and it should be something that's interesting and viable and relevant. And to me, bringing in backgrounds and different kinds of information and ideas about multiculturalism and and events and activities. You know, that really is a way to fill some of those pages, and you can do it effectively by tying it to your character and by making it a part of an issue or a theme that, you know, is being dealt with in the book. So, I mean, and how many of us, you know, matter of fact, I just talked to a couple of, um, in my class yesterday, a couple of my students that said, you know, you, you want, you don't want to just put in material. You want the material to have some purpose, to be connected, to be interesting, to be informative, to be relevant in some way. And so, you know, again, when you're trying to, especially if you're trying to fill 400 pages under deadline, it's a wonderful way <laughs> to come up with information and to add depth to your story and to really kind of develop your characters and build because you can contrast a character just by using another character. You can, you can kind of talk about or show your reader what's important in relation to your main character just by contrasting them with a different character. Um, and you don't even have to say anything as far as directly describing it. It's just the way they act if you put them against each other or the way they talk. Or I mean, there are different ways that you can really emphasize your character just by putting them in diverse situations or putting them opposite of contrasting characters. Um, and again, this, this it can go all the way to people of color and handicapped. It can go all the way to just a mother versus a daughter or, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be. Or someone who has like a Welch background, but they live in a... a Amish community or something. I don't know. I mean, you could have a variety of differences. Yeah. yeah I think what you're saying is really important. Um, about 35 years ago, I was tutoring in an inner city school and had two kids, and I kept bringing them stuff to read, and neither of them seemingly could read. And then I brought in a book called the, A Whistle for Willie, which gives black children and they could read, and it was it was really. I just it gives me goosebumps every time. I hadn't thought of it for a long time, but I think particularly with younger readers, mm -hmm. that younger readers want to see people like themselves um, when they're when they're reading, and it, it's really important. Mm-hmm. And you had your hand up for quite a while. I do want to get to you before. Just, I, I think this is all really, really important. And so I, I just wanted to add one other, in, in addition to getting out of the comfort zone, sort of the familiarity inhibition, there's another inhibition that I'm very aware of, which is just that having been raised a good liberal um, and having, having, having been a child in the 70s and, and I attended a, a very um, racially mixed school, and I was taught, I, I have very deep inhibitions against infringing on the ownership of their own cultural identity of people of different cultures. That's and great. And it's also, 
you lay yourself open to attack because as a Caucasian person writing about people of different cultures, I mean, you do get attacked. Um, like, who do you think you are writing about? So I just wanted to name that additional yeah, fear. Yeah, that's a vision. great point. But I would, I would argue against that point the same way I did the other. You know, you're going to get criticism. Exactly, absolutely. You know, so you have to be true to yourself, of course. But once you're true to yourself, I just say, bring it on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>